Hey, good morning to you, Grace. It's good to see you this morning. Would you turn in your Bibles today to the book of Revelation chapter 3? Revelation chapter 3. Today's Mother's Day. So happy Mother's Day to all of you moms who are here. You couldn't have picked a better place to be uh, on, uh, on a Mother's Day morning. And so uh, thank you for coming. Maybe uh, you're here because you know you, you didn't quite do the mother thing all right where there's no better place to be. It's uh, Jesus that helps us be a good anything, mother, father, anything, and so there's no better place to be. I also want to welcome those of you who have moms. So I think I covered pretty much everybody, right? Pretty much. Welcome to Grace. It's good to have you here. We're in this series that we're calling Letters from Jesus in Revelation chapter 2 and 3. Jesus writes letters to seven churches. Now, why these seven? Couldn't it be a different seven? Couldn't it be a, couldn't it be a, a different seven churches? Why these? There are a lot of churches in the area. Uh, it wasn't just seven there. Why these seven? Well, Jesus picked these seven strategically. He picked these on, on purpose. He, he, he had a reason for picking these seven as opposed to a different seven. It's because these seven churches embodied what churches are going to be like throughout the rest of church history. And so the same kind of churches that were then, that they were then, then there, there then, are still then there today. Same type, of, same type of churches. And so it was strategic in that way, but it was also strategic in another way, that these seven types of churches embodied uh, eras, seven eras that the church would move through throughout church history. Uh, that these seven churches embodied kind of parts of the life cycle of the Christian church throughout, throughout the ages. I think this is the first time that I've mentioned that, and uh, we'll get to more to that in, in future weeks, but uh, this is the, these seven churches are, uh, describe what's happened throughout church history and will continue to happen in church history as, as well. And so the, the, the passages that we're studying today are nothing new. For the last 2,000 years, Christians have been learning from these letters. I know it might be new for me and you to study them. It might be new for us to, to, to read from these letters, but these are nothing new. Christians have been studying these for thousands of years, and they will study and learn from these all the way until Jesus Christ returns and takes his church home because they are beneficial for every single church throughout the ages, not just these churches that are here. And so the, the message for the church for today, Jesus says, wake up! I just, I just woke somebody up. <laughs> I've only been preaching for like three minutes. Come on, it can't go that fast. Wake up! That title kind of surprises, or it, it, it makes me laugh uh, because um, of something that's happened in, in my family recently. Whenever I tell stories of my kids, I always ask for permission to, to tell their story, and we're just talking this week about <laughs> how I should probably pay them to tell stories because then they'd be more excited for me to tell stories about them. But anyway, uh, in my house, at the age of 13, teenagers go deaf. Has, has this ever happened to you? Does, is this a normal, I don't know what you call it, I don't, I'm sure there's a medical name for this, but at 13, Deaf, I mean serious medical grade need hearing aids kind of deafness. I'm not talking like selective hearing. This is not like selective hearing, you know, like, hey, would you take out the trash? And there's nothing but, then you say, hey, four or five bucks, would you take out the trash? And boom, they're gone. I'm not talking about like selective hearing. I'm talking about no can hear a thing. 
uh, we'll be sitting at the dining room table, and we're just having a normal conversation. And I turn to Caleb and say, what do you think? <laughs> and he's like, what? What do you mean, what? We have been talking about this for 10 minutes, and you're asking me, what are you talking about? Come on, wake up. We could be in a car, an enclosed, locked doors car. I mean, he, Caleb is like, I can touch him. Having a full-on conversation, and then I ask him something. He's like, what? What? What are you talking about? What do you want? What do you mean, what? <laughs> Wake up, man. I, I, this is, it was serious, so serious that I had real conversations with Tanya about needing to take Caleb to Kaiser to, to have his hearing checked. Serious conversations about this I, multiple times. And Tanya's like, relax. He's fine. I mean, he gets, he gets uh, all sorts of sports evaluations. He's fine. It, it'll, it'll change. And sure enough, just as quickly as the deafness came, boom, gone. It just disappeared. I believe in miracles because his healing was restored right there. In that. I, I don't know what happened. I don't know what it's called, but as quick as it came, it was gone until Noel turns 13. <laughs> boom, we're having a conversation. Noel's always engaged in conversations, always talking. She's like the closest one that's sitting to me right next to me at, at, uh, at the dinner table. And we're talking, and she's like, what? What do you mean, what? We've been talking about this forever. Wake up, Noel. Well, unfortunately, there are some churches that are just like that. They, they were engaged, and now they're disengaged. They, they, they were faithful to Christ, but... Now, they're merely a shell of what they used to be, and unfortunately, most churches don't grow out of this one with age. There are many churches that have completely checked out. Yeah, I mean, the lights are on, there are cars in the, in the parking lot, but there are lots of beautiful churches as you drive through Riverside that they have a name on their building, but their name isn't who they are today. The name is what they used to be. The name is what, what used to come from that church, but today it's just a shell of what it used to be. The lights are on. There are great events that are happening in that church. They uh, sing songs nice and loud, and their pastors are all dressed in all of the most uh, spiritual costumes that could be, and yet it's, it's a church that is not connected to Christ or to, or to what they used to be, to what the, the name is on the wall. And it is said that Christian ministries or spiritual ministries, um, they go through four stages. First, it starts with a man who then begins a movement. And as that man begins the movement, then after a while, you need, need to maintain the movement. So the first stage is the man. The second stage begins the movement. And then after that, then it turns into a machine. That's the third stage. That uh, all of the staff are there to maintain, to maintain the machine of the movement. The entire church body is there to maintain the machine of the movement. The, the, the purpose of giving at a church is to maintain the machine uh, that was started by that man. And then after a while, particularly after that man dies, that ministry turns into a monument. 
Testament. It turns into a shell of what it used to be, and that ministry remains simply as a way to reminisce, as a way to remember the way that it used to be, the way that it was someday. Yeah, 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 we have this name, but that's not who we are today. We are simply here as a museum to try to remember the way that it used to be. And unfortunately, that happens in churches often, and one of my goals as the pastor here at Grace Community Church is to never let that happen, but it did happen here in the church of Sardis. That's what was going on. They, they were merely a shell of what had been before, and so let's read this letter that Jesus uh, writes to this church in Sardis, and uh, once we read it, then we'll go through verse by verse and, and understand what Jesus is saying here. So Revelation 3, beginning at verse 1. To the angel of the church in Sardis, right? He who has seven spirits of God and the seven stars says this. I know your deeds, that you have a name, that you are alive, but you are dead. Wake up and strengthen the things that remain which were about to die I have not found your deeds completed in the sight of my God. So remember what you have received and heard and keep it and repent. Therefore, if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief and you will not know what hour I will come to you. But you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their garments and they will walk with me in white for they are worthy. He who overcomes will thus be clothed in white garments, and I will not erase his name from the book of life, and I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Okay, and so let's go back to verse 1, and this is Jesus that is writing to a church in the city called Sardis. That's our next church. Now remember that, that in Revelation, John is having an out-of-body experience on an island. He's been exiled there because of his faith in Christ, because he's already written scripture, and uh, he's exiled there essentially to die there. And he has this out-of-body experience with Jesus, and Jesus says, I want you to, uh, to write down the letters that I am narrating. And so Jesus narrates or dictates these these seven letters to these seven churches, and John is feverishly writing down what Jesus says, and once he has all seven letters all, uh, all written down, he gives them to a private uh, Amazon delivery guy, and they set off to start to deliver all seven of these letters. And so you remember that they just deliver them right in order as they were given, or is the order that a courier would drop them off. So the first one was in Ephesus, and then it was then in Smyrna, and then it was north up the of the, the west coast of what is now today Turkey. Then we get to Pergamum, and then last week he turns the corner and comes back down south again, and he's coming down to Thyatira. That was from last week, and today we get to the city of Sardis. Now the history of Sardis is a very interesting history. So here's some pictures of Sardis. Sardis is up in the mountains. It has cliffs that are surrounding it, like huge cliffs, 1,500 foot cliffs. It was a perfect defensive location. It was a perfect place to be safe. And so it was such a great defensive place that they didn't worry, the Sardinians, didn't worry about 
defending it. As a matter of fact, the army, the military, in the day they'd have their patrols out, but at night the military would just go to bed like everybody else because they didn't have to worry about it because it was just a perfect place to be. Well, one night in the 6th century B.C., so several hundred years before this is written, in the 6th century B.C., Cyrus of the Medo-Persian Empire invaded Sardis like a thief in the night. And they came in so quickly, so unexpected, that the military didn't even have a chance to wake up and put their shoes on. They all died shoeless. That's the history of this city. And so he makes references to that in the, rest of this, in the rest of this note that he writes. But if that story's not crazy enough, get this. It happened twice. <laughs> what? It happened twice because they were just so confident in the area that they were. They were so uh, complacent that nobody was there awake to defend it. And they needed to wake up, but they were all asleep. Now, unfortunately, the church, the group of Christians in this city, is a lot like its namesake. And so it says there in verse 1, Jesus says, I know your deeds, that you have a name that you are alive, but you are dead. They were so overconfident in what they had been. They were so confident in what they used to be. They were merely a shell of what, ha- what had been before. Yes, their, their name on the church said Ephesus Bible Church, but there was no Bible happening in that church. They just remembered back to the way that things used to be. It had a name as if it was alive. It had a reputation that it used to be alive, but it's, but it's now only a monument today. It's, it's just a monument. It's just remembering back. It's just a museum of the things that used to be. It's not a church that is alive today. It is asleep. It's asleep. If, this, if you could take a church to like an emergency room, if you could like deliver a church to an emergency room, all the nurses in our church would immediately take this church right past the emergency room and take it right back to the ICU because it was known as being alive. But now... It's dead, or it's almost dead. It is right, it needs the paddles, you know, clear. Need to wake this church up because it is not what it used to be. The name still says it on the, on the, the, on the building. There's still a, a steeple and there's still a cross and there's still a sign out front, but it's merely a shell of what it used to be. Now, maybe to think of this in a whole different way, and maybe this will help you understand it a little better. Uh, this last week, I was driving home, and I was listening to Nerdy Talk Radio. And, and there was a, a, a guy from, he was the president of the Griffith Observatory. If you've been to the Griffith Observatory, it kind of stood out to me because Tanya and I and the kids, we had just been to the Griffith Observatory not long ago. And so he was attempting to describe the, the idea of light years away. You know, there are stars that we have that are 400 light years away. And the idea is, is that the light that comes from that star, it takes 400 years for us to see the light. And so he's trying to paint a picture on nerdy talk radio about what that was like. 
And he said, if you could get a telescope that was strong enough, we don't have one like this, but if you could get a telescope that's strong enough and you could point it at one of the planets that that star, that sun is shining on, and you were to watch the little aliens run around the planet and, and do, do their thing, what you would be watching is 400-year-old history because it takes 400 years for that light and what it saw to travel throughout space to, and finally get to your eyeball. 400 years history, but you're seeing it right now in real time. But that happened actually 400 years ago. The closest star to us, other than our own sun, is about four and a half light years away, Alpha Centauri. Four and a half light years away. So that means when you look up in the sky and you see a star, Alpha Centauri, you are looking at light that left Alpha Centauri four and a half years ago. That, that whole sun could be gone and we wouldn't even know it for four and a half years. There are churches that are just like that. That they used to be on fire for Jesus. They used to be passionate and they used to be sharing the Christ with the people in the church and the people in church had a burden for their friends and their family. They'd take that gospel and take it to their friends, take it to their family, take it to their co-workers. But now, it's not that way anymore. It, the, the church is dead and now there, there are just still some lights that are still glimmering from the way that it used to be, but it's not like that anymore. The church is dying and we're just seeing some light that's still coming off of a dead church. That's what's happening here in this, in this church. And Jesus says to this church in Sardis, verse 2, he says, wake up. <laughs> you are under attack. This, this city had been attacked both times at, at night while they were asleep with their shoes off. And now the church in Sardis is in an exact similar situation where they are apathetic. They are lazy spiritually. They have grown so complacent. They, they are not relying on the power of God at all in their church. And Jesus says, what's happening to your church is what happened to your city several hundred years ago. You're getting attacked and you don't even know. You better put your shoes on. You better wake up and be prepared be ready, be on fire for Christ because something is going to happen. And it says there, it says, strengthen the things that remain which were about to die. So there's hope in this church. We don't know, Jesus doesn't tell us what was going okay. It says, strengthen the things that remain, meaning there are some things that are remaining in this church which are about to go out. They're about to, there are other things that have died, but there's some good things that were about to die but hadn't died yet, and so there's hope for this church. We don't know what those things are. Jesus doesn't tell us what they are. I think it's because the church knew what those things were, and he said continue to do those things. And the point really here is that a church is never too far gone. A church is, nev a church is never dead as, as long as, as there is a pastor, as long as there are members, as long as there are elders, as long as there are deacons and deaconesses, a church is not dead. A church is not, there's always hope for them to rekindle the way that it used to be. Okay? A church is not gone until it's gone. You know? 
A church isn't dead until there's a Starbucks where the church used to be. You know? Then it's dead. Then the light has gone out. But there's hope because their light had not gone out yet. And he tells them what to do. Here's the encouragement in verse 3. It says, remember what you have received and what you have heard and keep it. <laughs> now, what are the things that they were to remember? What had they received and what had they heard? Of course, this is referring to the Bible. This is referring to God's word. This is referring to, to Scripture. A church grows complacent when they don't make the Bible the center of what they believe and the center of what they do. Those two things are different, by the way. So you can believe a whole lot of things about the Bible, but if it doesn't, cha- if it doesn't change the way that you operate your church, if it doesn't change the way that you live, then <laughs> what good is believing it? And so the problem in this church wasn't that it had bad theology. The problem in this church that it had none. Note that he had a bunch of people running around saying, I believe in Jesus. <laughs> and a bunch of people saying, we believe the Bible. Look at our name, Sardis Bible Church. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, that was the name on the building. But it was, it was just a, a shell. It was just a memorial of the way that it used to be. But their light was quickly going out. The, the church was dying and what was coming out of that church was, was merely just a light year of two sort of, <laughs> sort of things that w- people were still seeing, but it was a dying church. The lights were on, people were in the parking lot, but they were not growing spiritually in this church and they certainly weren't sharing their love for Jesus with their friends or their family or their co-worker, uh, co-workers who really needed it. They just weren't growing themselves. They were happy that they got saved. Yeah, I'm thankful for that ministry. That ministry saved me. I got baptized in that church. It is so good. So good to be here. But they weren't taking it to their friends and to their family. And so here's what happens if they don't do this, if they don't remember and keep what they had already known. It says, therefore, if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief and you will not know what hour I will come to you. Yeah, just like King Cyrus did to them in 6 BC. I am going to come to you like that. Whenever this whole idea of coming like a thief, I'm sure that sounds familiar to you because this is used of Jesus multiple times in the New Testament. And whenever it, this coming like a thief is used of Jesus, it is always coming like uh, in judgment. It's always a bad thing. The thief in those stories always come to do harm. And that is exactly what's going to happen to this church. If they, don't, if they don't remember and do what they used to do instead, Jesus is going to come and, and judge them. So he says, put on your shoes spiritually. Wake up spiritually. Go back and do it the way that you were doing it before spiritually. Go back and do what was on your name spiritually before I have to come and bring judgment because when that you are not going to be ready <laughs> when that comes. Now, unfortunately, history tells us that's what happened. There is no Christian influence in Sardis today, None. except for maybe a few modern missionaries that are attempting to do what the church in Sardis never did, just to share Christ. But there is hope. There is good news. We keep reading in verse four. 
It says, but you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their garments, and they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. There was a small group of people who are believers in this church in Sardis. They are the ones that are wearing the white robes. They're the ones that have not soiled their garments. Um, They have not grown spiritually apathetic. They aren't the ones that have grown lazy. And then it says here, though, the inference is is that there are a few of you in Sardis who have not soiled their garments. Well, of course, the insinuation is, is that there are a lot of other people who have soiled their spiritual garments, and these are unbelieving people. Um, They had soiled themselves spiritually. They are not believers. They're going to the church. They're going to the church because their parents made them, you know. (laughs) They're going to church because that's just what I always did growing up, and it just makes me feel good. They're going to church to to help fix their marriage. They're going to church to to solve their teenager problems because they thought the church in Sardis had the silver bullet to solve all their teenagers' problems. And so they were going for all of these other reasons, but they weren't saved. They weren't born again. They, their, their garments were not white. Now, notice that, that it continues um, with, that, with that same white garment thing. It says, he who overcomes will thus be clothed in white garments. Now, who are those who overcome? You know this already. Who are those who've overcome? These are believers. These are Christians. These are people who put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. So it describes them. He who overcomes will be clothed in these white garments. In the book of Revelation, white garments are always referring to people who were born again, who were saved, who were uh, going to heaven when they when they die. And in Revelation, it has a lot of different references to this. You have the twenty-four elders. Uh, who are all dressed in white. Then you have the souls of the martyrs. They are dressed in white. Then you have this great, I uh, can't remember the, the word, it's like it's a multitude of people who come out of the tribulation, Christians who die in the tribulation in martyrdom, and they end up in heaven, and they are wrapped in, in uh, white, white robes. And the reason that they're white robes is because they have been made white by the blood of Christ. We actually even sang a song about that. You know, when we sing these songs, there's actually some theology in them. And we sang about, about this. Well, how in the world does blood make something white? Now, wouldn't that be like red robes? Doesn't that sound, doesn't that sound more <laughs> biologically accurate? Why are they white robes and not red robes? Well, it's because you have to understand kind of what what's being described here in the totality of the gospel of Jesus. Remember, Jesus is God. He comes to earth in human flesh. So he is 100% God and 100% man, born on Christmas Day. He lives a perfect life. When I say perfect, I mean he never sinned one time. He never hit his sister. He never got mad at his mom and talked back. He never sped on the 91 freeway. Nothing. Perfect. And the only reason that he did that is because he is God. And the only reason that you have not done that is because you aren't perfect, because you aren't God. The Bible says all of us sinned, you know. All of us have. I'm not perfect. I'm the first one to admit it. And I bet, you, if you're honest with yourself, you'd realize that you aren't perfect either. You've done wrong things. You've said things you shouldn't have said, thought things you shouldn't have thought. That's sin. Well, Jesus never did. And so when Jesus gets to the cross on Good Friday, he is dying on the cross not for his sin. He had none. He was dying for mine. And he was dying for yours. 
Three days later, he rises from the grave, proving that he is God. And the Bible says that belief in this Jesus then offers us something, forgiveness of sin. All the sins that we have done, the things that you've said that you shouldn't have said, and the thoughts that you shouldn't have thought, the Bible says the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. When Jesus rises from the dead, proves that he is God, he can wash away sin. So let's get now back to this soiled garments and these white garments, right? So Jesus says that when you put your belief in him, he washes, there's the terminology, away your soiledness. He washes away your sin. It's not that the sin never happened. No, no, no. The sin happened so much so that God died on the cross for it. But when you put your belief in Jesus Christ, what ha- God's judgment is pouring out on Christ, and, and so he took that payment for you. And so what, what happened to Christ is spiritually applied to a person. And so instead of their spiritual clothing being dirty with sin, it is now washed, white, clean because of Jesus' death on the cross. So these are the, are the white robes that people have. They, it symbolizes salvation. They're, they're in heaven. Their, their sins have been washed away. That's a, a wonderful story. But then it says something that is even more interesting, it says, and I will not erase his name from the book of life, and I'll confess his name before the Father and before his angels. The book of life is mentioned in the book of Revelation six times. It's the the book where when your name is written in there, that's when you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, and your name is written in the the book of life. You've, You've got a reservation in heaven. It's not like you have to go today, okay? I'm not asking you to go today. But when you do go, your name is written in the book of life. And that is a wonderful thing. And not only uh, do we have white robes, it'd be so lame if you have a white robe and then you get sent to hell because your name wasn't written there. But those things, that can't happen. Those, Those two don't go together. Everyone who has white robes, their name is written in the book. And it says here that, that I will not erase his name in the book of life. Some have said that this verse proves that you can lose your salvation. Now, that's a hard one for me to understand because it proves just the opposite. Like, look at it. He says, I will not (laughs) erase his name from the book of life. This guarantees your eternal security. Now, some people see it like this. So, There are some uh, college professors who, when you go to their class, you sit down in the class and they say, you all have an A. You are starting with an A. You're like, yeah, it's my college class, I already have an A. So you have an A. Now it's up to you to keep your A. And so throughout the semester, Depending on the grades, you know, your, your A could, you know, start to crater. <laughs> then you end up in a B, and then you end up in a C, and then you end up in a, in a D. And some people see this verse kind of like that, where everyone just starts off as, as having the A. Everyone starts off as uh, going to heaven, and then you could do enough bad things, and finally, God says, I mean, let me erase your name out of that book. But that's not what this says. That's, that's actually opposite of what is being said here. 
When a person puts their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, they are saved. That, that's saved from eternity in hell, saved from the result of our own sins. When you are saved, you, you are not unsaved. The, the picture that, that losing your salvation paints is you're out on the coast, your, your, your boat goes underwater. This just happened this last week. Boat goes underwater and the Coast Guard comes out and they save you. They throw out the, the orange safety ring out in the water and you hold on to it and they save you from the depths of the Pacific Ocean and they drag you on board. If you can lose your salvation, the picture is them kicking you right back into the water. <laughs> Sucker, you thought you had it. Maybe I'll throw that ring to you again. Maybe not. But from God, you know, God doing that. God saving you. Oh, yeah, Jesus died on the cross for you. But then you just got booted off the boat, sucker, because you just did something wrong enough. And so there's this whole theology that says, well, you know, you could do something bad enough and you can jump out of God's hands. But you don't hold on to God. God is the one that holds on to you. And it is Jesus' death that is paid for, for God to hold on to you. And so you don't have to hold on to God. He's the one that's holding on to you. There are moments in time when you cannot hold on to God. Well, that's a good thing because God is the one that holds on to you. And so this verse isn't saying, well, you know, you all started with an A and there's a chance of God erasing you on the last day, so you better be good. No. This is saying when you have those white, white robes, when you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, there is no way that you will not enter into heaven because your name is written in the book. Now that's encouraging for those of you who put your faith and trust in Jesus, isn't it? And so you don't want this to say Jesus is erasing names. <laughs> Jesus doesn't have an eraser from the book of life. It's in ink. It's on the Google Cloud. It cannot be undone, but it is certainly possible to be a shell of a Christian. So we've been talking about a church that, has been a, that was a shell of what it used to be. It had Sardis Bible Church on it, but it was no longer Sardis Bible Church. It was just a group of people who <laughs> turned into a parking lot that had the sign out front, but it was merely just a monument of what used to be. And that is certainly possible to happen in each individual person's life as well. Could you identify with that? Where, you know, you look back on the way that it used to be, the way that things used to happen. Yeah, 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 yeah. Those were good times back then. I'm not, I know, I'm not like that now. I know things change in my life. You know, th th things kind of turn sideways. And I don't really have time for all that God thing. But it used to be really good back there. It's, happened for, it's possible for a Christian to be just a shell of what they used to be. And Jesus would say this to you in Revelation 3. He would say, remember what you received and heard and keep it. Remember the way that it was. This, sounds, this probably sounds a little familiar because Jesus has said something very similar to previous churches along the way. Remember the way that it was and go back and do those things. And remember the way that you used to read your Bible? When you were first saved, you used to read your Bible all the time? But now, I mean, it's been 20 years. I've read it like 20 times. I mean, come on. I, I mean, missing one day, missing one week. I mean, I, I, know, I know what it's going to say. I already, know this, I already know the thing that's coming next. I'm not going to worry about it this week, this month, this year. And 
Jesus says, uh-uh, t- stop, turn around, that's the word repent. Go back and, and do it the way that you used to do it. Do the things that you already know that God has, has told you to do in, in his word. Stop, go back, do those things again. Remember what it was like when you were in that men's small group and you're like, man, I can remember those days were the days that I grew the most, grew the, I had had best friends. We had lots of really sugary, fatty breakfast food and ate and drank a lot of bad coffee, but I memorized all those verses and I can remember those days. Those days were so good. They were so fun, but those days are over and you can remember the days, but those days aren't the way that they are like now. And Jesus would say, go back. Stop where you are and go back and start doing those things. Remember when you used to teach Sunday school? Yeah, I know you had to be there two services, but you never left a Sunday regretting that you taught Sunday school. Remember what it was like back then? Go back and do those things. Remember when you used to give sacrificially to God financially, not to get something from God, not to pay him off, not because you feel guilty, not because, well, I'm a member of the church, you know, I probably really should do this every once in a while. Remember when you used to give because you were worshiping God, that God gave you everything, and you, were, you just wanted to, 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 to recognize that, that God is the one that gave you everything, and you gave out of worship, of loving. Remember that? Go back and start giving like that again. That's what Jesus is saying here. It is possible to be a shell of a Christian, to, to, to remember the way that it used to be and pretend that it's still that way now, but, you're, but it's just a, a monument. It's just a monument, a, a history thing, looking back at the way that it used to be. It's also possible to pretend that you're a Christian and yet still be here at church. Maybe you can identify with, yeah, yeah, I'm, I, I come to church because my parents make me. Or I, I just always have. I just always have done it. This is just the way that it always has been. This is just the way that it, I always have done it. It just makes me feel good. It makes me feel like I've done something right. And the Bible says, though, your name is not written in the book. You are not wrapped in the white robes. You have soiled robes because Jesus has not washed your, your sins away. Maybe, you've, maybe you come here because... You need something. You're trying to get your marriage fixed. You think that Grace Community Church has a silver bullet for the problems in your teenager's life, or you just got a diagnosis from Kaiser, and you need just something to settle your mind. I'm glad you're here, but your name is not written in the book. And so I don't want you to leave here thinking that just, just because you're here, this is what saves you. Jesus says that, when your name is written in the book, he is not going to erase your name out of that book. I want your name in that book. Um, there's, a, there's a story in a book that I read, and I want to read it to you here just to finish up, and you'll know why I'm reading it. Um, it starts with a, a woman's name, Ruthanna Metzger. She's a professional singer. So several years ago, Ruthanna Metzger was asked to sing at the wedding of a very wealthy man. According to the invitation, the reception would be held on the top two floors of Seattle's Columbia Tower, the Northwest's tallest skyscraper. She and her husband, Roy, were excited about attending. At the reception, waiters in tuxedos offered luscious hors d'oeuvres and exotic beverages. The bride and groom approached the beautiful glass and brass staircase that led to the top floor. Someone ceremoniously cut a satin ribbon that draped across the bottom of the stairs, and they announced that the wedding feast was about to begin. 
the bride and groom ascended the stairs, followed by their guests. At the top of the stairs, a maitre d' with a bound book greeting the, de- the guests uh, outside the doors. May I have your name, please? I am Ruthanna Metzger. This is my husband, Roy. He searched the M's. I'm not finding it. Would you spell it, please? Ruthanna spelled her name slowly. After searching the book, the maitre d' looked up and said, I'm sorry, but your name isn't here. There must be a mistake, Ruthanna replied. I'm the singer. I sang for the wedding. And the gentleman answered, it doesn't matter who you are or what you did. Without your name in the book, you cannot attend the banquet. And he motioned it to a waiter and said, show these people the service elevator, please. The Metzgers followed the waiter past the beautifully decorated tables laden with shrimp, whole smoked salmon, and magnificent carved ice sculptures. Adjacent to the banquet area, the orchestra was preparing to perform. The musicians all dressed in dazzling white tuxedos. The waiter led Ruthanna and Roy to the service elevator, ushered them in, and pushed G for parking garage. After locating their car and driving several miles in silence, Roy searched o- reached over and put his hand on Ruthanna's arm. Sweetheart, what happened? When the reservation arrived, when the invitation arrived, I was busy, Ruthanna replied. I never bothered to RSVP. Besides, I was the singer. Surely, I could go to the reception without returning the RSVP. And Ruthanna started to weep. We can see why that kind of stood out to me. I don't want that to be you in heaven. I want your name written in the book of life. I don't want you to pretend. You can teach the greatest Sunday school. You can sing great songs. You can be the earliest one here. But I want your name written in the book of life. And for some of you, that's the application today. To change your mind about Christ to change your mind about who Jesus is and put your faith and trust in him so that he can wash away your sins. But for most of you, most of you are, okay, good. I've already done that. And that is the trap of the church of Sardis. the, The Christians and the people in the church of Sardis were like, okay, I'm good. I'm good. Because that man and that ministry, that movement back then saved me, and so I'm good. I can just sit back. The the cliffs are protecting me. Everything's okay. I don't need to worry about anything else. And yet, we all know friends and family members whose names are not written in the book of life, right? I I bet you know of a person who you know their name is not written in the book of life. And so let's, let's pinky swear this one, okay? Pinky swear. We cannot be Sardis kind of Christians where we just are, we're a shell of what saved us and we're happy just where we are. And that's what this church was. They, they, these Christians were not taking their love for Jesus to their friends and their family. These Christians were not taking their love for Jesus to their coworkers at work. They needed it at work. They just, they were just, they were just chillaxing. So pinky swear. We are, we're not going to take our shoes off. We are not going to grow tired until every single family member that we have, their name is written in the book of life. We are not going to rest until every coworker that we have, until their name is written in the book of life. 
And then after, after everyone we know, all their names are written in the book of life, then let's take off our shoes. Can we pinky swear that one? We cannot become a church like Sardis that was started by a man that then had a movement behind him turned into just a machine that we're maintaining and after a while, we just look back on the number of baptisms that we used to have. We can't do that. That's what this church did. And of course, the church is just filled up with people, right? I mean, it's not like it's, it's some you know, corporate structure somewhere. It's us. We are the church. We are Grace Community Church in Riverside. And there are a lot of churches just like Sardis today in Riverside. Their name says something, something Bible Church, and yet there is no Bible there. The gospel isn't clear, and the people in their church aren't passionate for Christ. And so maybe that's the application for us, the application that, that we can apply f- for us here at Grace Community Church. But some of you, you need your name written in the book of life. And the promise to all of you whose name is in the book of life, Jesus promises that I will not erase your name in the book of life. That is the promise. You put your faith and trust in Jesus. He washes your sins away. You are saved, and he's not kicking you back out of the boat. That's a wonderful thing. And today, some of you, your name needs to be written in that book of life. And I want to give you at least the opportunity to consider these things before God. So I'm going to ask all of you, would you be willing to bow your heads and close your eyes this morning? It just creates a little separation between you and the person next to you for just a minute. There's nothing religious about the posture of closing your eyes. It just kind of eliminates some distractions for a moment so that you can consider these things that you've just heard from Jesus. These are, this is from Jesus' mouth. It, if you want your name written in the book of life, you need to change your mind about Jesus. You need to be saved. You need to have your sins washed away. You need to be forgiven. And all it is is about believing in Christ, trusting him for your salvation. And you could say this to God in the quietness of your own heart. You don't need to say anything out loud, but in the quietness of your own heart, you could say this. Dear God, I, I believe that Jesus is God and he lived a perfect life and died on the cross for my sin. I believe it. Uh, and that's a good thing because I know that I can't save myself from my own sin. I, I know I've done things that I could never undo and so I put my faith in this Jesus to rescue me I believe that God dying for me is what washes away my sin I put my faith and my trust and my belief in this Jesus I put my eternity into his hands I want my name written in the book of life so that when I die I will know that I am going to heaven. Do you know the Bible actually says these things I've written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God in order that you may know that you have eternal life. You can know it. Change your mind about Jesus today. Most of you are already believers. You're going to heaven. So with your eyes still closed and your head still bowed, do you notice this about yourself that you're kind of a shell of a Christian of what you used to be? You can remember the good old days, how great they were and how deep you grew in Christ and It's not that way anymore. You just kind of celebrate the monument. Today's a day to undo that. And so you can talk to God about that. That's a personal thing between you and God. You could say, God, I know that that's me. I know that I've 
become a shell of the Christian of what I used to be, and I, I want to be a bright light today. I don't want to be a, one that's burning out. And so though I need your help for that, I need, I need your Holy Spirit that is in me to give me the strength to do things that I used to do, that I've um, grown uncomfortable in. I, please, God, help me to return to what you've called me to do as a Christian. God, I thank you for, for writing these things down. You did not have to preserve these things for us, but you did. And we praise you for allowing us to learn from them too. And we pray that it, it uh, makes our church a strong church. And God, we pray, we, we know that we are not above um, messing up as a, as a church. We're not above becoming a Sardis. And we pray that you would be the one that would protect our church in this area, that you would keep us on fire for, for you, that we would be telling our friends and our family about, about who you are too so that they could come to saving knowledge of your son as well. We thank you that you've allowed us in on this, that we know about it. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name.